Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Governor Mara Healey announced an emergency declaration this August in regard to the surge in migrant families arriving in the state and in need of shelter. More than 20,000 people, with over 5,000 families with children, are currently living in state-funded shelters. Plus, a fledgling National Latino Museum in D.C. is caught in the culture war led by Latinx Republicans in the House, proposing legislation to pull the museum's funding. Who gets to tell the story of Latinos in the U.S. and how? And last month, the long-debated driver's license law for undocumented immigrants went into effect. The state saw roughly 100,000 requests for learner's permit appointments in the first three weeks of July. That and more on our Latinx News Roundtable. Later in the show... Sixty years ago, a quarter million people gathered at the Lincoln Memorial for the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, and the site of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s now iconic I Have a Dream speech. It was an event to advocate for the civil and economic rights of Black Americans. I think the march at one level was very radical, and and everyone in America has worked to make it less and less and less radical to this very day. Six decades since the call for racial and economic justice, what is the legacy of the March on Washington? But first, joining me, Julio Ricardo Varela, president of Futura Media Group, co-host of the In the Thick podcast, founder of Latino Rebels, and an MSNBC opinion columnist. Hi, Julio. Hey, Callie. And with me, Marcella Garcia, an opinion columnist and associate editor at the Boston Globe. Thanks for joining me, Marcella. Thanks for having me, Kelly. We recorded our conversation a day before Governor Healy clarified that she was not declaring an official state of emergency, which is in fact a request for federal funding. Instead, the governor said she is invoking her authority to address an emerging and humanitarian crisis. I just want our listeners to hear a little bit from Governor Maura Healey at a press conference uh, in early August. We're unable to move people from housing and shelter into permanent housing. So instead, we've been expanding and continuing to look for housing and shelter opportunities. Now, um, the surge, as as some have described it, is because a lot of people really are trying to get here before lots of reasons. And... um, Unsurprisingly, there are lots of folks who have an answer to this. One of them is Mayor William Reichelt of West Springfield. He told Western Mass News that there just has to be a limit on the number of migrants the state can take. I do think we need to put a cap on how many we're going to have in Massachusetts because, you know, as the governor said uh, and her team knows, it's overburdening the state and it's overburdening local communities too. 
So um, what the mayor has said is uh, a thought that lots of folks have had. And in fact, there are other towns and cities that have um, called, uh, declared a state of emergency. I'm thinking of New York City specifically, but I'll get your response. I'll start with you, Marcella. Yeah, like you said, Kelly, this isn't a situation that's unique to Massachusetts or to cities like West Springfield or Boston. There's this. This is an issue that a lot of you know all the major cities are are dealing with. I do think that we're seeing, uh, like the mayor of West Springfield, there was a situation in Taunton too. The uh, mayor of Taunton, there, a Republican, was fining thousand dollars a day a local a hotel that was hosting families that the hotel was being paid by the state right to host uh, a majority migrant families right and 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 the the mayor was saying the hotel was over capacity and so she started finding them so we see this this rejection right I mm. think there's there are, there are different levels to this I think I think the um the problem is that we in Massachusetts and as other places, we have a housing crisis too. And so this is a crisis on top of a crisis. This is, uh, we definitely are dealing with an influx of migrants, but that doesn't necessarily have to be seen uh, under a negative light. It's just that coupled with a housing crisis and emergency shelter crisis, then, then it becomes, you know, this type of issue. Then there's another issue here. Another problem is that the, they cannot work. These people cannot work. So there there is a role to play by the, by the administration, I think they are, on the one hand, they have let a lot more uh, asylum seekers or migrants via legal pathways, for sure. But on the other hand, I don't think they're doing enough to allow them to work as fast as they could. And I just want to uh, pick up what you said about the connection between not being able to work and the lack of housing. So at least if you have an opportunity to work, there is a possibility of your being able to pay for your shelter. Um, if you can't, then there you are, uh, Julio. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this. And how long have we been talking about this on this show? Oh, God. I'm thinking like 10 years, okay, at least. nine years, at least, right? And that's I, and I think that's the bigger philosophical problem I keep struggling with. The minute New York City Mayor Eric Adams started to raise this point loudly, uh, the Biden administration or the you know the Biden uh, campaign, you know, obviously he's running for re-election, right? Eric Adams was he was a, a co-chair, I think, in Biden's yeah. re-election. Yeah, he was, he, he, yeah, Adams, whatever, he was yeah. kicked out. Yes. Yeah. The minute he started complaining, he was kicked out. And so to your point, there's no room to elevate this issue at the national level because the Biden administration apparently doesn't want to hear it. Right. And the, and this is the big issue I've always had with, with immigration sort of policy or immigration politics in this country is that it is you know, especially migration, especially migration from the global south, because this is this is a deeper issue that speaks to who we are as a country. Um, it's fa it's not I'm not surprised, right, that in so-called progressive states, we're seeing this because I really, really believe and it's sad to admit this. That migration from the global south is seen as a problem for this country when in fact what marcella was saying and to follow up on on you know what people have been you know there's plenty of economic studies 
that says that this country is going going to go through a massive like labor shortage and unless you know ai is not going to come in like next week to take over our jobs although i worry about that as well um so who's going to do the work well i think we're already in a labor shortage okay. right. right and then i think it's just like but every economic study that i've seen about this issue says that migration and immigration will help create a new workforce for this country right but we're not as Americans or as politicians, and I'm not a politician, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say here is that is not what we are seeing in the narrative. We are seeing this is a problem. I don't want this problem near me. And I'm struggling with this because I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to write about. This, this problem has not changed. We have sat on comprehensive immigration reform for decades. And this is going to continue to be a problem unless the United States says, you know what, we realize that this issue, whatever we call it, we have to be more forward thinking. And it's not because you know what's going to happen in the 2024. We're going to see it, right? It's, you know, you see the Governor Abbott's of the world, the DeSantis's of the world. It's, it's a national political issue and it's very simplistic and it's very simplified. And I wish Marcel and I were asking presidential candidates, you know, at the Republican debate, they should, we should be asking them those questions, but obviously, you know, they're going to get the same simplistic questions about this. And that's what I'm struggling with. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Julio Ricardo Varela, president of Futura Media Group, and Marcella Garcia, an opinion columnist at the Boston Globe. We're discussing Latinx news in Boston and nationwide. Let me um, turn your attention to the Governor's Advisory Council. This is Governor Maura Healey on Latino empowerment. She appointed more than 40 Latino leaders from across the state to advise her and Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll on strategies to expand economic opportunities. This is at the heart. Um, and, you know, improve overall well-being of the Massachusetts Latino community. First of all, the 40 uh, in that group are some names that folks know and have been around and, and doing work and some names that maybe people don't know. They began their listening sessions in Springfield uh, the beginning of June. Uh, I wonder what you think about this, Marcella, as a uh, a power move, really, for these voices of folks who represent various organizations coming together and under an umbrella to um, have the ear of the governor. It's well-intentioned. It's a group well-intentioned, like you said, to elevate voices. I just wonder, and I'm really skeptical about the power that a group of 40 people, I mean, who 40 people in a room, <laughs> regardless of whether they and 40 are, Latinos and Latinas and 40 in a room. 40 Latinos, <laughs> exactly. And you get, you know, I just don't see how... Again, maybe I'm being too cynical and and, uh, and skeptical at best, cynical at worst. But I, I I hope they prove me wrong because I just don't see exactly because again historically I don't think this has been a good avenue to to affect change in government. It, it, they are well intentioned, and I know I know most people in that council. Yeah, and in fact, yeah. I was having a conversation about this with one of them who is a very well meaning and passionate person uh, and advocate of our community. And and she was arguing why this is great and we're going to go here and, you know, the Western Massachusetts never gets attention and we're going to, we're very intentional. And I'm like, that's great. Just 
I just kind of want to see the outcomes, right? Like, what is the end goal here? Um, th- do you agree, Julio? I feel like I'm in the sprint. I, like, I feel like we gotta we gotta be fast. Mm. We gotta be sprinting, but this is a marathon, and that's sort of where where it comes to political power, right? In the moment, it might not feel tangible. There's movement. There's access. But my question is, what do you do with it after? What's the end goal? Mm. You know, I'm the concrete end goal. Yeah, I'm trying Mm. to think of is this going in? Are any of these people going to be, you know, or anyone else going to be the first Latino or Latina governor of the Commonwealth in the next 15 years? Well, to that that end, yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. You know what I mean? Let me take it a step a step further. I would have rather because this goes to your point that this is just checking a box. I would rather see more Latinos named to her administration. I'll give you a concrete Thank example. You. There was there was one specific, uh, you know, how Governor Healy created a new secretariat, uh, right, of housing. We were just talking about housing. We all know how important housing is in our state right now, so much so that Governor Healy created a new office, right? She created a whole new bureaucracy in service of this one policy issue, which is very important and very it was very welcome. And everyone was waiting, who, who is she going to name a sec- secretary of housing, the inaugural secretary of housing, right? I know for a fact that there were um, a couple of Latinos being being um, considered, considered yeah. seriously yeah. considered. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, so, I've heard it, yeah, they, exactly. They went ahead and picked the former mayor of Worcester, Ed Augustus, and, and you know, white guy, and you know, for, for all I know, he's going to do a great job and, and he was a qual. But I heard a lot around that decision. All right, if you really want to be intentional and deliberate about listening to Latino communities or elevating Latino voices, I mean, you had a, an opportunity here to do it. Right, right. Okay, well, let's move on to some folks hey, who have. Hey, Callie's like, Callie's like, okay, let's move on. Well, no, I know because that was good. I like that conversation. <laughs> well, this it's connected to uh, there are some Latinx folks who have some power. They are elected. They are in office, and they're using it in an interesting way, Julio. Uh, so these <laughs> yes. are Latino Republicans who are uh, really wanted to defund a national Latino museum. Um, now, before you two weigh in, I just want our listeners to hear a little bit from actor John Leguizamo and Jorge Zanillo, who's the founding director of the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Latino, as they're walking through the first physical presence of a National Museum of the American Latino. Lasso is a Spanish word. Rodeo is a Spanish word. Corral. Buckaroo is from Marquette. I mean, you start reading through all these little different hours of stories. You start uncovering all these little things yeah, and gems that you, that you didn't realize were true. Right. You didn't yeah. realize what an influence that people yeah. had in the, in the making of American culture. So it's to be cultural. It's to it's to reflect history. It's to talk about all things uh, Latino. And the folks that are leading the opposition say it's too liberal in its approach, and they're conservative, and so therefore they're blocking it. Julio, you wrote uh, a huge piece for MSNBC saying this is a betrayal. Yes, or it feels like I, it. Well, it says feels like it, but you know, I think I think my MSNBC lawyers like to keep my opinions, you know, protected. So we'll go with feels like a betrayal. I think, you know, in my opinion, you know, these two two Republican uh, members of, of the House, uh, representatives uh, Ma- Mario Diaz-Balart, who's in Florida, and Tony Gonzalez, who's a Republican from Texas, 
use this committee, uh, the appropriations, it was a, it was part of the, you know, the spending bill, right? The House Appropriations Committee, there was a hearing in uh, last, in July that basically defunded uh, what is already into law, this, you know, this, uh, the museum, the National Museum of the American Latino, which was passed uh, in, you know, there was unanimous, there was unanimous approval in 2020, you know, bipartisan approval. And in 2022, they have a founding director and they have to choose a site by December 27th of 2024. And basically what it is, it's like, just says, you know, it's, it's going to be a new national museum, you know, hopefully on, on the national mall, a Smithsonian museum at the same level of all the other ones, you know, the African-American museum and others. And it's a big deal, right? It's going to take 15 years to build, but it's a big deal. Like the fact that we don't have one um, or there's the construction hasn't even begun to me, like I said, in the MSNBC piece is a, is a travesty, but basically they, and you can read the piece because I don't want to get too deep into it because I want to hear what Marcella has to say, because I know this is a topic that like, this is a really juicy topic, I think. Um, but they basically said that the current precursor exhibit, which is at the Smithsonian, really doesn't show the full scope of what it is to be Latino in America. And to the point that, you know, allies of the Congress men are calling, you know, it's for lack of a better word, they didn't say woke. I'm just going to say woke and Marxism and, you know, the radical left agenda and all that. But this is what I said in the piece. And I'll, and then I'll turn over to Marcella. I said, I'm OK with you criticizing whether how you view history. But do you have to vote to defund it? Do you have to go strong arm the Smithsonian to be like, hey, if you don't do this the way I want to, because because I feel offended by a lot of these exhibits, then I'm not going to fund you. And the Smithsonian is kind of being strong armed into sort of saying, oh, yes, we must follow what these politicians say. Yeah, no, I think it was very interesting how you put it, Julio, that they it's already taking so long for yeah. us to have this museum. Like it, it is astonishing to me that we haven't even picked a site and it's going to take another 15 years. And it's not even right now because we don't have the funding, thanks to Republicans and these two Latinos, Latino Republicans in particular, it's going to take longer than 2030. Like that to me is insane, right? Like, or 2040, whatever. So it, it and the other thing that I think you did very well in the piece was that it's almost like this, they're complaining about the fact, again, this is just, I'm just paraphrase, paraphrasing their objections to why, or their reasoning to, to defund the museum. They're objecting to it because this precursor exhibit was not complete or, or was just elevating ideology or a certain ideology over another one. So they're basically saying, oh, it's censoring, right? And so their their response to that is to censor even further. So it's right. like, that is not how you would tackle this because I think, you know, you, that, that line that you had in the piece about, about you know, that, that we shouldn't whitewash or that we shouldn't play it safe when we right. talk about the Latino, uh, the history of the uh, of American Latinos or Latinos here in the United States, we have to cover everything—the good, the bad, and the ugly—right? And an answer to you know to to a perceived um, bias or or it shouldn't be more more bias or just to cut it to cut the funding. It, it's just nonsensical. Well, particularly, it's, it's partisan. It's partisan. One hundred percent politics, right? Yeah. Well, I, it was. I, this is the last word on this. It's a little confusing because it's 
hasn't happened yet. These are just the beginnings. There was plenty yeah. of room it's a start. to start. It's the first draft. There's plenty yeah, of room no, to put exhibit, anything. Right. There. The exhibit that they're opposing, it's not, I mean, it's a precursor exhibit. It's a room that, that exists like right now. Like a teaser. It's not even the final it's thing. Yeah, and the thing is, they're only picking out certain parts of it that they don't agree with. Exactly. There's other parts exactly. of it where it's like, they would agree with, but it, but that's yeah. the part. And it's like, but you're going to be like, hey, I don't like this. That's what I'm saying. It's like you can be critical and say like, hey, let's do yeah. a better job as we move forward. We're going to fund you and let's sit together. But that's like no funding because they're playing into this because that's what it is. You know, that it's the Republican Party that we live in right now. Well, uh, in terms of politics locally, I'm changing the subject. Um, long, 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 speaking of long, debated uh, driver's license bill uh, for undocumented immigrants finally gets passed. And immediately, a uh, huge response. Um, this would not be surprising, uh, certainly, to uh, either of you who have been writing about this for some time. Let's listen to CBS News boss, and they spoke to one undocumented immigrant applying for a new driver's license in order to work. Not having it is the critical issue. Um, having it, it's a relief. And finally, he'll be able to uh, do things legally. So, um where are the naysayers in terms of uh, the folks applying who are, you know, as this guy says, I'm trying to get to work. The roads will be safer, blah, blah, blah. All of that 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 uh, supporters had long said. And we see the response. A hundred thousand people in the early weeks. That's, yeah, that's amazing. What's amazing to me is that early. I mean, we heard so many, so many, um, so many um, <laughs> critics criticisms to to the to, to this idea right from from right. governor baker from republicans and, and one of the last ones was documents oh you know we don't know who they are we don't know who you know and, and this idea that just because someone is undocumented that 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 means but take it literally that they don't have documents i mean at all they don't have any have documents. documents exactly right, right? <laughs> it's a person that does not exist on paper that's ridiculous but then the other thing is that Study after study, and and this has been played out in others in, in other in other right. states, obviously. But but also, we know this: immigrants, undocumented immigrants, want to tell you who they are. They want to come forward, yeah. like they they want to be on the right side of this of of everything, right? Like they just they don't want to be in the shadows. They don't want to work under the shadows. They don't want to have to drive without a license or we're with an out of state license or with something. Right. They don't want to. They, and this has been proving that, that they want to be known. They want to be seen. I have heard so many stories of people just, you know, trying really, really hard to get appointments. And, and in, the, in the first or two weeks, it was really hard to get appointments because it, it was just a deluge of people trying to mm. get in at the same time. Even though the RMV, the Registry of Motor Vehicles, hired extra people and, and prepare themselves for the extra demand. You know, there's only so much. Um, uh, they just, I don't think they they weren't ready, right? And so people had to wait. And wait, I know of a person I wrote about this person who had to drive to Greenfield for two hours, but she was right. like, I don't care. I would go uh, to the RMV in Greenfield. I cannot tell you where that is in the map, but I know it's two hours away. And so it's out west. It's out west, as <laughs> I figure, right? Because we're we're east, so it has to be. So, but but you know, it, again, the demand shows that. People, uh, immigrants always wanted to tell us yeah. who they are. They always wanted to be on this side of, of this. And it also, I mean, it also shows, like I, I wrote a column about this and it, it, it also, I also got a sense of 
you know, this, this, granted, a driver's license, this was always the argument for a driver's license. A driver's license doesn't give you anything other than the right to drive. It's telling people that you know the rules of the road, that you're insured, and that, you know, it's a license to drive. It doesn't confer you any other benefits. But what I've noticed is that for immigrants, it has been very symbolic too, because he has given them a sense of belonging, a sense yeah. of, you know, inclusion. And so it's it's been kind of, you know, kind of amazing to see that from people, right? That this car that, again, means nothing else. You cannot use it to board a plane. You cannot use it to enter nothing. It cannot be used for anything other than to drive a vehicle. It's also symbolically giving them um sense of inclusion mm. yeah and marcella's piece was was great mm. the one because you know you the one um that you wrote at the end of july and you know I, when i read it i think this is the part that you're absolutely right marcella what people forget you know and it kind of goes back to what we talked to at the beginning there's this notion that anyone who is quote unquote without papers whatever we want to say um is is not good for america doesn't want to be here Right. Where, which is, I find to be incredibly laughable because we have created, you know, the American dream. It has become, that's what's exported out to the world. Right. So this sense of belonging, this, this, you know, this plastic card and the way you said it at the end, Marcella, you know, the other intangibles for them, for the people that are getting these license, relief, gratitude, hope, mm -hmm. a sense of belonging, and the feeling of being a little less invisible to the rest of Massachusetts. That to me, captures a lot of the issues of invisibility, like of, of why right. our communities have always seemed to be forgotten in the grand scheme of things. So not to tie it back to the beginning of our conversation, but this is exactly the point, is the sense that if you feel invisible, you don't feel like you're part of your community. You don't feel like you're part of you know, civic society. This to me was historic, it had already happened in so many other states. Nothing has happened. You know, cars are still driving. There's still traffic in Boston. The sky you know, hasn't it, fallen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people are driving. It's like, you know, the sky hasn't fallen. And this is the other thing. You know, I, I think I've said this before on the show, Callie, and I'm sure we have because we have talked about this in the past. You know, not that I'm defending insurance companies, believe me, but this is good for all of us. This is makes oh, yeah. economic totally. sense for every Massachusetts insured driver in this in, in who who is an insured driver because it literally opens up the pool to more insured drivers and more people are putting into the system and there's more money to pass around and it's you know and and that's the part where people tend to forget and it kind of goes again not to go back to the beginning but I'm I feel like I'm going back to the beginning it's like this is good for our economy just as much as like Getting work authorizations is good for the state. It's good for us. Why can't we just push forward? Because in the end, it goes back to my original point. And, and even here in Massachusetts, it's like what you said, Marcel. It's like, oh, my God, people without papers, they have to drive. Like as if we're as if they're literally faceless names that don't have lives, that don't have jobs and and don't use cars. And I'm like, come on. I mean, let's put some humanity back into this. So I'm really happy that this passed. And and guess what? It's been a success. And good for you, Marcella, for like really breaking it out. And I really love the oh, way you ended you. the piece. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And I'm here with Julio Ricardo Varela, president of Futura Media Group. 
and Marcella Garcia, an opinion columnist at the Boston Globe. We're getting the latest in Latinx news. All right. Well, let's uh, I'm going to assume you're both superheroes, perhaps like the new <laughs> film, Blue Beetle. <laughs> oh, OK. Uh, there is a, a, a new film coming out, uh, which is about a Latino superhero called Blue Beetle. Uh, and me, many people may not have heard of it. I hadn't because of the writer's strike and the SAG after strike. And, you know, folks are forbidden to talk about these things and to promote them. Um, before you guys uh, talk about, uh, give your response to this very interesting film that's coming out, um, let's uh, hear from the Blue Beetle director, Angel Manuel Soto, who talked about the importance of Latino representation. It's really exciting that finally something like that is happening to our community where we can not only be heroes of our stories and not villains of their stories, mm. but also where we can actually tell our experience, be free to be ourselves yeah. uh, without conforming to society's norm and still have fun and do an exciting adventure superhero movie for the whole family to enjoy. Um, now, the news is that 27 Latino Hollywood organizations, uh, groups like the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, the Latino Film Institute, um, the National Hispanic Media Coalition, have put together a, a, a letter and they're sending out trying to say to folks, you got to support it because the folks that would be out front can't because they're on strike. And so we really need uh, communities to step up and get to the movies when the, when the film gets there. Um, and go see it and tell others. Yeah, I, can I just shout out Angel Manuel Soto, fellow Puerto Rican. I was, I met him a couple of years ago, and I'm so happy for him for this reason, Callie, as well. It is getting, at least in the superhero nerd film world, mm. it's being billed as one of the best superhero films in the current era ooh, ever. Ooh, I can't wait. And, and so... I can't wait to see it either. You know, and, you know, it. and so... I, I, I'm very grateful for these Latino organizations to do that because I think, you know, there is a little bit of fear, right? Yes. After the after the Barbie Oppenheimer, like massive, you know, marketing blitz that didn't need the strike. But the thing is, Blue Beetle could be yeah. that movie that really shows that we as a community are just as mainstream as any other community out there in this country. And I'm so rooting hard for Angel and the team. And I'm going to go see it. But I'm all in. And I hope it's a success. And it's, I really think it's, I'm, I have high hopes for this. Oh, great. Yeah, me too. And, and I hope the, it, it's unfortunate that, the, that it's coming out during the, during the strike, preventing the actors and, and from promoting it. But but I hope all this, all talking about it, Julio writing about it, and, and film critics, obviously. We, we I just saw our our our, um, our film critic uh, review this this movie today. Love it. La, yes, and so I I really want to go. I cannot wait to go. And ultimately, like you said, Callie, I think there's a lot of, or I think it was you, Julio. There's a lot of confusion about how movie fans should how best to support the actors in, in this strike, right? And the writers in this strike. And so there's been this contention that, no, you shouldn't go to the movies. And it's actually the opposite, right? Because th this is their livelihood, right? Just Not just the writers, because we know we know that it's TV writers and, and, and everyone, right? Yeah. But 
but it's the opposite. Like you actually have to go see the movie. So I hope I'm gonna do my part. I cannot wait to see it. It's a big, yeah, it's a big deal in Puerto Rico because of Angel. I mean, it's it's you know, and that's the part that everyone's missing about this. Mm. You know, again, to get to Barbie Oppenheimer and all that, that was like a cultural like phenomenon. But but like in Puerto Rico, when when this comes out this weekend, guarantee you, like this is pride for us. Angel is. He, you're going to hear about this director. He is going to be like, he, I, I'm calling it now. He is going to be one of the best directors that, I mean, that what we're I really, all going to be. He's amazing. What I really liked is that he, in this movie, and I not, not to drag this longer, but I really, I, seemingly he incorporated different elements of the Latino identity, not exactly. just Puerto Rican. I mean, he exactly. used Mexican symbols and other, yeah. and, and so that diversity that he captured our our diversity and 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 all this symbol. I mean, I think that's that's that he shows that he approached this with care and authenticity. And again, I cannot wait to see it. I I can say I knew him when I said I knew him when. I don't know if he'll ever <laughs> yes, talk to me ever again. Exactly. You know. But anyway, <laughs> I'll just point out that this too, the going to see the film, could be a cultural phenomenon similar to Black <laughs> Panther, where it was really yeah. most of that was word of mouth. Um, yeah. I, I agree. That's what I hope. Mm. And but I, you know, but I also want to make sure about the blank because I think one of the things I've written about Black Panther is that. Like we can't go as Latinos be like, oh, we need a Latino Black Panther because of because of the Af-, you know what I mean? It's like right. there's plenty right. of Black Latinos who like who identify as Black who were who who love Black Panther and and there was a little bit of hot water. You mentioned you know John Leguizamo and others have have brought that up, and but I'm with you, Callie. I do want this to be a cultural moment for Blue Beetle and maybe break that and make it as mainstream as a Black Panther, but for different reasons. Well, I thank both of you for joining me. Um, That's a great way to end the conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks, Callie. Thank you. Julio Ricardo Varela is the president of Futura Media Group, co-host of the In the Thick podcast, founder of Latino Rebels, and an MSNBC opinion columnist. And Marcella Garcia is an opinion columnist and associate editor at the Boston Globe. Coming up, in many ways, its overriding focus has been overshadowed by Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. But the 1963 March on Washington was really a public stand for jobs and freedom and a push against a deeply segregated America. That America from 60 years ago is vastly different in many ways, but black citizens are still fighting some of the same issues. How then to evaluate the march's legacy? That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. 